The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax. This is Toe Fop. Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the first Faux Fop of 2014. I'm Will Anderson and guest Charlie Clawson. Matt Kirshen is back. Hello, Matt. Hello. I'm honoured to be the first. I didn't realise I was the first one of the year. Well, I was just telling you that Dave Anthony and I actually recorded two episodes the other night, um, but um, these microphones that we're speaking into... Weren't plugged in. They were, well, they were plugged in. I just hadn't flicked it over on the recording device to them, so right. it was just recording through the speakers that it has on it. So often, when we're using really good mic technique and putting these in front of our mouths... Yep. That is actually blocking sound to those speakers. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to put this up as the first episode, not those ones. I'll do those okay. as a bonus later. It's al- almost the closer you got and the more you were doing it properly. Like, I'm just going to bring the mic really close now. Right. To get, I'm going to get real here for a second. Yeah. Like nothing. No nothing. one. Inaudible. <laughs> if someone is transcribing the episode, <laughs> it would just say brackets inaudible. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, but so now, yeah, so you are guest number one, so that's cool. Like, I like that. It's a brand new year. People are excited. It's a brand new uh, year. It's a brand new me. So, is it a brand new year? Well, not really. Are you a person who like is a resolutions person? Are you I'm a not pers- at all? I'm no. not. I've never been a resolutions person. I think I'd like to say it's because I know deep down I wouldn't keep it, but actually I'm too lazy to even keep a resolu- to even make a resolution. Let right. Keep it. Like I'm, I think it's kind of bullshit. Also, that they are proven to not work. Well, are they? I think so. Like, I think so. Have you just made up You know up what? That I just, that's a complete... <laughs> I'm very glad you called me on that because I just... I did the thing that I hate, which is just go, yeah, so it's an absolute fact that... No, not a fact at all. That's no. just pure received wisdom. Yeah. That, you like, just read a headline once. Read, I didn't want to read the rest of the article in case there was actually I, caveats to that headline that you read that you enjoyed. As I was exiting a train once, I saw someone reading an article of... like. Uh, an issue of Closer magazine, and, and just in the corner of my eye, something said something about New Year's resolutions not working. I like, yeah, it was like a Yahoo headline that scrolled past. I, no, you, I don't know. I'm like you. I'm judgy of that. We see it very often in things like the climate debate or whatever, yeah. right? You know, you see people going, well, there's one scientist... Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he works for an oil company, so he wouldn't lie. Yeah. I mean, he's got a great job at an oil company. It's, it's that thing of, like, every opinion carrying equal weight. Right. Like every, yeah, with something like the climate, particularly with science, climate or vaccines or anything, that, like the BBC, and I'm sure ABC in Australia is the same because they're publicly funded, so they have a remit to be fair. Or um, they, they sort of go, well, we have to give every side of the... No, you fucking... Right. Not when one side is just wrong and crazy. They don't carry... When one side is the World Health Organization and the other side is Jenny McCarthy. Right. It doesn't, like, they're not equally... Accurate. I was watching actually on this very topic because uh, I had an awkward moment with uh, Rob Schneider because I don't know. If... Were you, did you watch one of his films on a plane or something? <laughs> yes, that, that one about anal rape. That, that whole movie. I, have you ever seen that no, movie? Well, he self financed were... the movie. This was a movie that even Sandler wouldn't throw in twelve million <laughs> for. Like, and Sandler's got twelve million stuff down the back of his couch. You know, right. like he, Sandler's buying people cars for grown-ups. You know, I mean, <laughs> he's got some money to spend. And his good mate, uh, Juice Bigelow, the male gigolo, mm-hmm. also the European gigolo, has come to him and said, I've got this great idea for this movie, which right. is all about I go to prison and I'm really worried about people raping me. <laughs> like, that's the premise. Like, that is like the entire premise of How, the movie. Where did this idea for the film come? Oh, a dream. It was yeah, a dream. It Obviously, was a dream. it was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the only place that... So a man who self-financed a film yep. uh, about anal rape, uh, he um, also is a vaccine denier. I don't know if you knew that, but he's a, so Rob yeah, Schneider is a, he's a very prominent vaccine denier. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's become he's voicing over all their like sort of ad slash you know I knew, documentaries. I knew, he's the Morgan Freeman of wow the, of of the anti vaccine. I, I knew that that um, there's one of the Kennedys. I think it's Robert Kennedy is is in there in that camp as well. Really. 
I love because the logic of it is just fucking insane. Because they do all these things where they basically they just say, well, in the last 30 years, vaccines in America have gone through the roof. And in that same time period, autism has gone through the roof. Yeah, Therefore, exactly. vaccines call. And, and then people go, um, well, actually, the rate of autism diagnoses have gone up, but that's because we're now much better at diagnosing autism. And people who previously might have been just who were on the spectrum, who might have previously been dismissed as a little bit socially inept, are now like, oh, no, this person has Asperger's or whatever. Right. Um, but you, that's the vaccines talking. Yeah, that's, the, that's exactly. That's what they're shooting into you, that's a, those lies. I'm basically shilling for the big farm right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a shill for the pharmaceutical companies. But, but it's absolutely right what you're saying. But also, if you look at the autism and the uh, vaccine statistics side by side, like autism in the last 20 years has yeah. got there's no actual sort of like unless it didn't kick in for 10 years it's like saying that more people are wearing crocs now yeah and in the last 30 years people have been getting vaccinated therefore getting vaccinated causes people wear the crocs that actually there is some evidence right <laughs> well then i'm not letting my kids get vaccinated well done rob schneider you've talked me around i don't care how comfortable that footwear is it looks weird and it's not right i'm not having it uh, that's probably bad news for my movie Croc Dundee. It's like it's like it's a Crocodile Dundee remake, but he's just in comfortable shoes it's in just, the middle of the outback. It's just where he's just been in been in the Western world for too long now, and he's just let himself go to seed. That would actually be not a bad movie if you did Crocodile Dundee now, yeah. like not trying to reboot him as he's still cool and whatever. But the idea was that Crocodile Dundee came to America to live with and, his hot wife, and he's just been and Americanized. Because he hasn't worked for all that time, like because yeah. he couldn't get a job, and he's just become... He has no transferable skills. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> he's just an old, unemployed dude. What are your skills? Well, I can discourage muggers right. and summon beasts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if a buffalo comes in, yeah. I've got that shit I've covered with my fingers. But other than that, I'm no good to you. Uh, so what, what is your new year? What was your Christmas and New Year? What does it involve so far, Matt? What's it? Well, I just you I went only, back to London, right? Yeah, I only was just, it London? Is that where you go back to? That is. is. Well, my parents live on the outskirts of London, and uh-huh. I stayed there most of the time. Uh, they live like so they they're on the tube map, ish. They're, they're just they just count as London. Have they put their own page on? Yeah, Have they yeah. stuck it. They've <laughs> just printed out of Google Maps. It there. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a picture of them smiling at the end of. They go. Who are those people? They're going around to, like Banksy style, just whacking <laughs> yes. it on different tube pictures. I like it. Uh, but um. So I, I was I was there. It was great. I got to. You know, the, I still think I got some really good friends out here now. But my closest friends in the world still live in London. Uh-huh. So I got to see. Uh, so I got to see all of those guys. I got to go skiing because uh, thanks to Marcus Brigstock originally, there's now a network of gigs and ski resorts in in the French Alps. Okay, now so you go to the French Alps to do. Hang on. I, yeah. Like so, I assume. And look, you know, I'm pretending a little bit because I do kind of know what you mean. Yeah. But I'm assuming you're not just like, you know, on skis yelling jokes at people as they go well, down Well, we are, the... but then in the evening, yeah. Right. <laughs> just, just, hang on, Michael Schumacher's over there. I've got some great... <laughs> Too soon. That's exactly, Too soon, that's exactly the resort, by the way. Oh, Like Maribel. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Like, um, uh, like he went off-piece, but he went just mildly off-piece, like off... Like, there's like a gap between two different slopes, and those two slopes that he skied between when he fell... Well, that was exactly where I was skiing. I was down that route many oh, really? times. Um, Maribel and the th- the Three Valleys is the area. Um, and so you were there like just before? Uh, yeah, I was there happened? literally a week before it happened. Okay, here's a, here's a comedic question. Yeah. If you're doing gigs on those slopes when shit like that happens, like big topical news story, yeah. is anyone going to do Schumacher gear in that situation? I do don't know. I mean, I was out there with, um, with Kai Humphreys and Andre Vincent. Andre I'm, Vincent might. I'm pretty sure if it had happened when we were still out there, I'm pretty sure Andre would have opened with it. Right. <laughs> I'm pretty, like... Yeah. Like, uh, knowing Andre, I think that would be the first word. I don't know what the words would be, but right. they would be... They would get a... Um, but I think if you live in a ski resort, or if, you, if you're one of the seasonaires, or even one of the people who lives there full year round... Mm-hmm. Injuries and like what, what every, is it, hang on just before we go on. Oh, season air. Yeah, is, what it, <laughs> I love that you knew what I was about yeah, to blurting ask. out. Um, I let off off piste go by because yeah. I thought, well, people might know what well, off piste is. You know what? Actually, that's some one. Australians might be like, well, and the Americans. Drunk? He was and like, I think Americans call it backcountry skiing. Okay, uh, off piste means skiing on any of the bits that aren't like the right. the groomed 
bashed down ski slopes. Yeah, right. Um, and they range. So between. in that Rob Schneider movie, he was worried that another prisoner might go off piste. Exactly. <laughs> Back country, same thing. <laughs> um, season airs are. Um, so you, you pl- basically, when you're doing the gigs out there, there's three different type groups of people. Uh-huh. There's like the tourists, like the holiday makers. Yep. There's the people who live there all year round, which are actually not that many people, um, and particularly not the English-speaking ones. And then seasonaires make out a large amount of the people who are out there, and they are people who go there for the entire ski season, which runs from like late November through till end of March, right? Maybe even early April, and. And they normally work like fairly shitty jobs, but in exchange for getting to be out there. Right. So it's the same, like ski bums and surf bums. It's the same kind of deal. Like the people who, you know, the people who work in the holiday resorts around Thailand or whatever. Um, it's, it's their equivalent of having to hand out flyers out the front of the venue to get stage time. It's exactly that. And right. you know, you know, like if you go to a tropical, like a hot places as well, you know, they, there's normally those rows of bars that mostly cater to Australians and Brits. Yep. And there's always the people out there shilling like free shots and that kind of thing on the people who clean those apartments. And in exchange, they just get to be out on the beach surfing every day and drinking in the night. And it's the same deal in the ski resorts. They get to ski and board quite a bit. And in exchange, what was great about it though, is that quite often, because they love skiing, people take like a massive step down um, to be there. So like the chefs who work in a lot of these restaurants right. and resorts are like really good chefs, yeah. but working as short order cooks. So like the guy who worked in the bar that Richard, who runs the ski tour, used to own, um, the, like, the second in command chef was a guy who worked in Heston Blumenthal's kitchen the rest of the year. Like right. he was like, oh, he worked in like a three Michelin star venue the rest of the year and he's making eggs and chips for British tourists. Right. Surely he would be better on the snow machines with the dry ice. Right, exactly. the- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's giving you mixtapes at the top think, of the run. Just listen to this on the way down. It will, it, the experience will be great. I think, just, I think we're skiing in snail sorbet. Right. <laughs> so, so what are the gigs like? To run me through like how the actual shows go. They're, they're generally bar gigs. Right. So it's like doing So they all have like nightclubs and bars at the resorts or yeah, stuff exactly. like that. So right? Like Maribel is very much um um we did like Maribel, we did Val d'Isere, we did uh, Val Touraine, we did Chamonix. Um and they have just like these streets that are full of bars, restaurants and nightclubs that cater like they're huge tourist destinations. So and and the reps let the holiday makers know about it. Like they often do deals. Like so, some of the gigs are more local oriented, and some are more holiday makers. One of the gigs we did was just full of in teen was just full of students. Like there was about like three different university groups all on like university ski right. trips, uh, and presumably their rep had had some hookup with a bar where they're like, "Hey, do you want to get a do you want to get twenty people down to this show, and we'll cut you a deal or whatever." So you're playing to those. It's like the difference. It's it's somewhere between doing a college gig and doing like a bar gig, right? And doing a weekend gig. It's like it's like somewhere between those three. So you have to work, but it can be fun. Yeah, you have to. You don't have to work. Work. It's not right. like they, there were none of them this year that we walked in going, "This is going to be a disaster." But then there were ones where you walk in and they haven't quite got like the ones in Maribel has been running for ten years. They got they got their shit together. They got the sound system. They got the lights. And then a few of them are like. We were like we were unscrewing light bulbs in the non-stage bits of the room, so that the stage bit was lit up. Right. So only gig at the snow I ever did. They had not had experience, I'm guessing, yeah. uh, because it was a bar also, and it was a great lineup. But we were all new comedians. It was myself and Dave Hughes, and like Rove was on with his old uh, comedy partner Duff. And so, like, how long ago was this? Oh, this is like 18 years ago, I guess, 19 years ago. So this is one of these ones where if they kept the poster, like now they'd be able to go like, oh, holy shit. Corinne Grant was on the trip. Like, I mean, it was this big, all these people who went on to have like big careers. Yeah. Like, and it was terrible. They, they had lights, but the lights didn't make the room any more light than the lights that were already on in the room. <laughs> right. so, so even though when you stood on stage, <laughs> you were like, these are technically lights. They are not changing <laughs> the dynamic in this room at all. Yeah. Secondly, um, they wouldn't turn off any of the lights because they were connected to the whole bar and this was only in one part of the bar, you know. <laughs> uh, the third thing was that there was a darts game going on and the board was next to the stage. 
So imagine if you step one step off the stage, <laughs> that's where the board is, right? Yes, Right. And they wouldn't stop the dance. They game. would not stop playing because they were like mid-game when the gig had to start. And like if we were more experienced, someone would have said, well, let's, if they're not going to stop, we'll let them finish their yeah, game. There's an old but, showbiz rule. Right. Don't do a gig when someone's throwing metal pointy things directly at you. Well, the funny thing was, like at the start, you think that the biggest disturbance will be the worry that they're going to... But it was far enough away on the stage that... That didn't actually become an issue. But the thing that did become an issue is darts is actually a really noisy game. Yeah. Like people yell out things like 180. So they were even shouting at it? Oh, yeah, because they're playing darts. And, the, they and also it just draws about the focus as well. Like it's constantly drawing focus. Oh, when the audience, it, that's honestly what it's like. Everyone's like put half of like an eye on the darts game <laughs> and half an idea on what's going on. So, yes, that's the only one I've ever done. Yours sounds a lot more fun. They, they, yeah, they've been running it for long enough that they they do things that like the show's in two halves and they close the bar during the acts right so they do stuff like that so they like okay. tell them hey get your drinks in the bar's going to be closed until the interval and that so they they do things like that right and they've had really good comics come out over the years again because it's been running 10 years and people come out because they like rich and erica who run it and they like doing the shows and they like skiing uh so they get good good people coming out every year so they kind of get spoiled it's amazing how that experience about somebody uh, treating you well, about Completely. it being fun, can, like, you know, somebody was asking me the other day in an interview, they were like, you know, how do you uh, create a good comedy club and get good comedians to come there? And I said, there's so many intangible things, and most of them are about the show, but really they're about how much fun they had yeah. when they were having that experience. And if you're in a good club, like a club that looks after you or like, you know, a place where it they're cool. all the difference in the world. Like the, even the a club place... that looks after the comics and a club that looks after the audience. It right. makes them both feel good. It makes all the difference. But also the other thing that I would say on that dynamic is a club that if it comes down to a choice between you and the audience, yeah. picks you. Yes. And that's like, it's an important thing. Completely. To remember. Like I did, so I just did a week in Denver. It was my second week in Denver um, this year. It was, they've been really nice to me. I'm officially, I think I'm biggest in Denver. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm looking at. In America, you've got the biggest one. If I have a map of America on my wall of places that I think I'm having a foothold, Denver's the only one. I bet that's another place though as well where, um. Because Colorado is all about skiing and all about outdoor sports, right. I bet there's a load of Australians knocking around around there. Or were there not? Was it mostly Americans? Or? You know what? It was mostly Americans, but I think that what you're saying is right. Because when I was there in February, there was a bunch of Australians who had come down from the, the ski field. Because we had the stuff. same when we gig together in Vancouver. Right. And Vancouver's just like, you, you only have to drive a mile. You only have to drive like about 45 minutes and you're in the mountains. Um, and Vancouver, there were definitely like all these Aussies who'd come down from the resorts. Oh, it would have been a great night to steal shit. Yeah. Like it would have been, it would have been a great night to do the, the purge at the resorts because nobody was working. No one was there. They were all like, Wynn Anderson, the fuck's he doing in? <laughs> I did have, uh, my favourite moment probably was, because uh, I did an all ages show on New Year's Eve. Oh, so yeah. it was a three, it was an interesting week. I like the way that the week structured in the end because I got into town on a Friday rather than a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Right. So got into town, did a double Friday, did your double Saturday. And so by the time the Sunday show comes around, which traditionally can be a bit quieter or a bit, um, you know, whatever, instead of that being Tuesday or Wednesday, your first night at the club, yeah. it's, you've already had like four massive full shows. So I loved the Sunday show because I was really in the swing by then and like, you know, you can you got your local and, references, right. you feel comfortable in the room. Yeah, yeah I love the great. Sundays. It was a perfect way to do it though because like normally you get that sort of, if you're going to have You get that a, dodgy Thursday or right, Wednesday, yeah. And you're still not sure if you're funny or if they're going to get you yeah. or like... It was amazing the difference it made. Monday off three shows on the Tuesday for New Year's. But the the big one, the big concern for me was the five o'clock show, which was an all-ages show. Yeah. And when I say all-ages, I mean... Ten-year-olds. Fucking all-ages. Yeah. Oh, ten-year-olds who were looking like you know, at other kids going, there are children here. Yeah. Like, there was probably... I'm going to say there was 30 kids under 10. Right. There would have been like 100 people under 18 uh-huh. in the room. And then like a lot of nanas and, right. and stuff like that. So It's like doing a wedding. Yeah, except like someone else's wedding. Yeah. When no one knows each other. So you can't even riff on the fact that... Yeah, you Uncle can't even Jack do like local jokes like, about it. Right, nothing. Um, ended up being a brilliant show. But the reason I bring it up was twofold. One, uh, the entire room was full of like families. You know, families yeah. who don't normally go out to, you know... 
stand-up comedy yeah and two australians and i said to the australians afterwards i said why did you come to the five o'clock show and they just said all we wanted to see is if you could go an entire hour without swearing <laughs> they really literally they did, did they chose between the shows <laughs> because they were like this will add an extra dimension to this because were... we do not believe that he can do this that's very funny that's great uh the second thing that i was going to say and this is more to go, to talk about the the, the, the room the quality yeah. of the club is so I'm concerned about this show, but I start on like I said, I'm doing doubles Fridays, doubles Saturday. I've done a bunch of shows before this show, yeah, and they know what my normal acts like. You know, it's not all ages, yeah. Not once in that period of time did anyone come up to me and say, "Hey, are you cool for Tuesday at five? Because you know it's got to be all ages. The second thing was that I was like, well, during the five o'clock show, I won't drink. Normally, I'll have a drink when I'm on stage, but during the five o'clock show, I won't drink because, you know, it's an all-ages yeah. show. Yeah, you're normally swinging a from a beer on stage. Yes, right. <laughs> um, and so, but I got to the club and my beer was backstage. Like, I didn't drink while I was on stage, but they had, you know, yeah, they weren't like... They were like, he's going to want a beer. What's right. And, and just little things like that. I know that sounds like... It makes all the difference. But those things make a, a massive difference. Like from from a room setup point of view, I you you need you need a two thing. Like you need to be clearly heard and seen, so that means good right. sound and lighting. And Be you your want, first two. And you want the audience to be as close as possible to the stage, yes. to the ceiling, and yes. to each other. Yes. So it's lower. why it's why corporate gigs can be so yeah. terrible because often you're performing on a stage that has a dance floor in front of exactly. it. Exactly. So the more intimate, the closer they are to you, the closer they are to each other, and the closer they are to the ceiling, the the better the atmosphere. Right. But then the, by that he means that he does not mean put them in high chairs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just walk. No, that would be fun. You walk into a room and everyone's in those surfing like <laughs> lifesaver chairs. Just, Just. Everyone gets given a Baywatch vest and gets shoved up. <laughs> he he up told you go, me Nana. the closest they are to the roof. Yes. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you walk into a comedy club and it's like uh, one of Willy Wonka's corridors and everything just gets smaller, smaller and smaller and smaller. It would be a great club though. It would be so. <laughs> but, You're just in the corner telling jokes. But then I've, I've got a little pet theory. Mm-hmm. Um, my theory is you know, you know, like dogs start to look like their owners. Uh-huh. I reckon after a certain amount of time, comedy club audiences start to behave like the person who runs the club. Oh. It's my little theory. I like this. And I, I think. Comedy clubs where the people who own and manage the club are really passionate and caring and fun, they end up with audiences that are passionate and caring right. and fun. And That's ones true. where they don't give a shit, the audience stops giving a shit and it becomes hard to deal with. I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. That, I think that does come through. And yep. it comes down to that idea of the, the dynamic of whose side they'll take in a... yeah. I, um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting, it was an interesting experience doing those shows. It, it was such a, I've never done three shows in exactly the same room that I have such a different vibe because the five o'clock all ages was brilliant fun. Like they actually were a brilliant audience. And that was were, on New Year's Eve, right? This is on New Year's Eve. Yeah. And they've come out with the kids at five o'clock and then they're yeah, going to put them to yeah. bed and they're all going to get drunk See, or whatever. See, that can be fun. Sometimes when people do, I've, I've done a few comedy club for kids shows, which mm-hmm. is a couple of friends of mine okay. run in Britain and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's like they, they run... They actually just take regular circuit comics who normally do adult shows like yourself and they put them in front of kids' audiences. And, and it is just, it's for the kids. And, so, and they've not, they're nearly always fun. But there is a thing that when people have their kids and they don't think they're getting what they wanted right. and that things aren't going quite to plan, people are so much more dickish right. than they ever, like parent, like a, a couple when they think like the food's not quite right or the show starts late or the sound's a bit off, they'll be like, hey, well, the sound was a bit off. But if they, they've got their kids with them, they suddenly think that they have a right for everything to be, we took our child and this was just not good. And yeah. they, they get really, like everything has to be exactly. You have ruined Bevan's opinion of show business. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't think he will ever be the same again. Like if he kills people in the future, right. this is on you. Uh, we dreamed of a career in audio visual arts for him. But... <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, but, but they were excited. That. But they, but they, they were all excited. You, you feed off that excitement, and I also, I think, like uh, what I feared was because I know that I have plenty of things that don't have dirty stuff in it. Yeah. I. But the problem is that quite a lot of the time, say the first few beats of a joke is the stuff where I could do all that stuff. But when it gets really interesting to me, or when it gets really yeah. fun, or when it gets really extreme, is when it gets, you know, dirty. I can do the. 
you know, the this nice point on gay marriage and this nice point on gay marriage and this nice point on gay marriage. But yeah. at some stage, I want to talk about dog fucking. Yeah. That's what I you know. But that's the other, a lot of the stuff you, you start to realize, and this is something I've gone through when I've done those kids shows um, as well. And I don't think I've ever done it close to an hour. I think the longest I've done is about 30. Um, but then they were specifically kids shows rather than shows where I'm playing to all ages and, right. then, you know, throw stuff in for the kids. Um, but you start to realize... Even the things that don't have swear words in them, like there's no, there's nothing in the first few bits of your gay marriage routine that is con- that has contentious language or contentious subject matter. But a ten year old just doesn't know enough about the politics to, to understand to, it to be able to understand it. Right. Like they barely re- they barely know what marriage means legally. Right. You know, they know that they know that auntie and uncle had a wedding and I got and I had to wear a suit, but they don't know what that what the implications are for mortgage repayments or health insurance or anything. That doesn't mean anything to them. I, you're absolutely right. And then you start to realize how much of your stuff relies on people knowing at least something. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I think that's why we talk about that idea of smart audiences. You know, when you have a joke that is, you're like, oh, they got that. Yeah. They're going to get, you know, all that stuff where it goes like that. And then some nights they've just like, they just haven't done enough reading. Yeah. Some nights... <laughs> Some nights you have to do, and I've, I've fantasized about this before, but some nights I think that you could just show a five-minute package. Like pre-presentation? Yeah. Just here's some shit you'll need to know. <laughs> like, if you're not across this, like, you know, this, this person says stupid things, and here's a picture of this guy. Look how much he looks like this guy. That'll yep. come in handy later. <laughs> it's almost like those sort of uh, language lessons at school, the video ones where they're like, where they're like, this is French for bus, this is French for tree, this is French for cabin. Now let's put it into practice. Right. Please welcome to the stage, Will Anderson. Will Anderson. <laughs> it's like... Because it's not like I don't think it would spoil the joke. Because by the time you got to the joke, yeah. I think, to be honest, it would only add to the you joke. You get a little, ah. Right. If people could tick them off. In fact, that's what I'd have them on. a, yeah. And then I'd put them up on a Brady Bunch style board behind me. Yeah. And each time I did a reference, it could <laughs> just... just... Bing. I could finally use like a projector, like I do a Dave Gorman show. Yeah. And I could just like cross them out. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, Denver was fun, and you went back to to London. So what is what is what does Christmas involve in London? Uh, well, I mean, it's all as you know, everyone in Britain is an orphan. So, <laughs> so what what mostly happens is, you know, we we wander the streets for a while. Uh, an old guy will throw us a bag of money, and we'll have to buy a goose, and. <laughs> It's all... No, I, I mean... My family's Jewish, so we don't go as hog wild on Christmas. But, well, literally. But um, my, my aunt, yeah. my aunt L- and uncle, do, they do yeah. Christmas dinner. Uh-huh. So they do... Um, uh, so we go around to theirs on the day. I don't know, it's kind of nice, though. It's cold. Have you, have you ever done a cold Christmas? Yeah, I, I, so I did... Um... Oh, this would have been your first cold Christmas. No, well, I was here. Yeah. For Christmas Day. In okay. fact, I was sitting in this uh, room that we are in now, which may be a bit echoey. Yeah. Um, because it's still mostly empty. Did you have people around? Did you do a, like an orphan's Christmas? No. So if you can imagine, Matt, we're in my living room, which now has a table. We're sitting at the table, which yep. arrived a couple of days ago. It's very nice. There's a... Um, and it now has some sort of Ottoman coffee table thing, like in the middle of the room. Couch is still to come. Yep. However, if you, if, you, if you went back to Christmas Day, this room was completely empty, apart from a cardboard box that had that Ottoman in it that I was using as a desk. And I had a tiny little chair next to it, and yep. I had another box that I was using as my table. And then there was, and it was just me on Christmas Day sitting in this giant empty space on my little box desk by myself. <laughs> I went and had lunch by myself and I'm at this cafe and I look around and it's just men having lunch by themselves. (laughs) And I'm like, A, I live in West Hollywood, so it's like, it's mostly gay men. So I'm assuming that, like, well, mostly if you went to a cafe in West Hollywood, there's a lot of gay men anyway. So maybe I'm overthinking this. But I'm also thinking, well, maybe I'm starting to invent stories. You know, when I'm sitting there, I'm starting to go, ah, you know what? They can't be with their family because they're gay and their family don't accept them. And, like, I'm inventing all this, like... See, if I were at a cafe on Christmas Day and it was mostly men, I, in my mind, I would be thinking, oh, they have the kids for Boxing Day. Right. <laughs> like, it's just... All well, right. See, that's a good thought. They or have, I, I could have thought they were tomorrow. Jewish. I could have thought they were not religious. Yeah. But mostly... Yeah, because West Hollywood's quite Jewish as well. There's, right. But mostly what I thought was that their parents didn't love them because they were gay. Right. And then I was like, oh my God, that's so sad. And then I started to like really kind of feel sad for them. And then I'm like, 
You're sitting alone, loser, <laughs> on Christmas Day. Who are you to be inventing backstories for other people? Maybe they're just like you. You've given them names as well. Right. Maybe their apartment doesn't have anything in it, and they're going to Denver in two days, and they couldn't be asked doing anything. <laughs> Maybe they thought it was sadder to do an orphan's Christmas. Did you, did you miss doing Christmas, or did you, did you have a nah, nice Nah, not really. I mean, I talked to my parents the day before and my, like, my brother and my sister and stuff. Because of course, because it's a full day before, pretty uh-huh. much, isn't it? So, um, yeah, so on Christmas Eve here, it was, a, it was a Christmas day in Australia. So I spoke to all of them that day. Right. And I felt like I did that. And then it was the first time I realised, like, because I didn't really think about any of these things. These were things that only came to me afterwards. Like, was that from the outside, if somebody just said to you, hey, I'm a bit worried about Will, like, you know, he's moved away and he's been spending a lot of time by himself and I heard on Christmas he just sat, sat, on, a box. sat on a box and then went <laughs> looked and, at a wall and then went out and with some gay people whose family didn't love them and sat around, <laughs> had a support group then came home and had a few drinks by himself and went to bed. Like, there is some, yeah. some parts of it that are a little bit... Um, Sad. I didn't get any presents. It was the first time ever in my life that no one had... Go- you know, like, because normally yeah. at least if you're home, someone will buy you a present. Mm-hmm. I didn't buy anyone else any presents either, like, because yeah. I'm not... So it's not really... But I was like, there was part of it that was like, oh, you know, he didn't get any presents. He was just alone by himself. He put, like... You bought, like, a, a G-clamp that you could attach one end of a cracker to. Right. <laughs> Just pull it. <laughs> I did. I did think and then about the clamp wins. Like it gets the bigger bits, and you're like, oh. <laughs> and I can't even read it out. I put that. I flash back. Cut to me. The, the clamp with a hat on, whistle coming out of its mouth. You're just sat grumpily looking at back at your wall. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually think about um, uh, the other day. Someone threw out a Christmas tree. You know, it's obviously got to that point, but the Christmas tree was still good. Yeah. And I did think about, because I've got my friend Rich crashing in the other room for this week, that when he arrived, because there was still no furniture when he arrived, that I would just arrive and I would have my cardboard box desk and I'd just have a Christmas tree next to it. <laughs> and you'd make him put a little crown on. And then he'd just sit looking at the tree singing Christmas carols. And <laughs> And he's like, hey, Will, do you think we should uh, maybe just, you know, go out to a bar or go, even go to bed? You're like, sing another one. <laughs> he's like, it's my first time in L.A. One more. <laughs> one more. I need this, Rich. I need this. <laughs> no, so, um, uh, well, do you have family? So what do you do? Do you do a family yeah, thing? Yeah, so we do. Like, um, it was actually quite nice. I got, um, for the first time in a while, the whole family was together because I was over from America. One, um I have three younger sisters, uh-huh. and the eldest of them lives in Australia. She lives in Sydney. Oh, so I didn't know she that. was uh, yeah. So she was um, she was over for the first time in a couple of years. Okay, and I was over, and uh, so and, and the other two are still, and the other two are still. They're, they're a fair bit younger, so they're still. One of them's only just graduated, and okay. one of them is still a student. All right. Okay. Um. So and you all got together. So we were all together and went to my aunt and uncle's and. Uh, Oh, that's good. That's like, that's nice. Yeah. So it's just like it was just my aunt, uncle, my two cousins, uh, one of my cousins' boyfriends, the the six of us, and then great auntie Hilda, who's um, she's normally good value, like she's she's eighty five and she's reached that good value old relative stage. What do you mean by that? Well, a couple of years ago, and this won't mean as much um to I guess anyone but your British listeners, but there's a there's a Scottish TV presenter called Lorraine Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's who hosts a morning TV show in the UK, and it turns out Great Auntie Hill doesn't like her. She can't understand her clearly, and she's been waging a one-woman campaign. Like she is the mad old person right. who writes and phones in to TV stations, right. and she's been demanding that they that they both take her off the television and send her back to Scotland. <laughs> like they're like. So like, she's essentially she's an old school troll. Oh yeah, like in her, she's a troll without the internet. She's a troll without the internet, except she she's not just trying to stir up controversy. She just genuinely she yeah. just wants her sent back to Scotland, one person where she belongs, sent back <laughs> like, to your own country, like coming she, over here taking British jobs from British speaking people. Exactly. So she believes she somehow believes that a TV station has the power to repatriate people. I imagine they probably do. Yep. I mean, the big ones. Speaking of um, uh, Scottish brogues, uh, last time we were uh, on this podcast, yes, uh, we were talking about your friend Karen Gillan uh-huh. uh, from Doctor Who and how, like, I think she's awesome. How, yeah, you're like, I maybe shouldn't meet her. Right. And so 
we spoke um, about the fact that she lives around here somewhere. She lives near, very close nearby to, to where I am. Yes, and that is absolutely true because I've seen her a lot since I've been here. <laughs> Have you said hello? Uh, so I, I'll run you through this. So she, I won't mention the name of the place because you know, like even though I'm stalking her, I don't want to give yeah. other people, you know. Um, uh, but she goes to a cafe that's near my house uh-huh. and I go to that cafe quite often and particularly because I've had no furniture I will go there for like you know have breakfast but sit there for a couple of hours and work do some writing in that cafe. which I have hated because I just feel like every other fucking asshole in LA who's sitting at a cafe yeah. how's, that, how's, how's that screenplay going that's got- serious <laughs> and, and I want it there's part of me there's the ego part of me that wants to go this is real work yeah. I have a real job I've got a career. I've been like I've I've, yeah. I've been on TV. Yeah, but but somehow I feel like that will not make it better. Yeah, <laughs> somehow doesn't. <laughs> you just you just like print out your IMDb page and just right. slide it next just, to. Yes, I. Some of you guys might be pretending, but here's um, yeah. this is real work. Um, but she also, and here's something that I've, I I admire about her, is that she also will often go and have breakfast by herself at right. this place. Now, some people find eating by themselves really confronting. Yeah. Like, I imagine as a comic, you have made your peace with the idea that you can eat a meal by yourself or go to the movies by yourself. Yeah, and like, in, in my head, I, I, um, I bet you, I'm sure you do the same, you like, you're constantly going like, do they think I'm a sad loner? Or do I have like some sense of mystery? Like, what's he doing in this town? I bet he's here to solve a crime or something. Like, it's right. Just like you, you build up the most bullshit. Like the people will be talking about it. For, Do you remember that stranger? Yeah. Who sat by himself? He didn't have our accent. And he was reading a book. I heard that he didn't eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where is he from? <laughs> what is he doing here? Should we all not eat meat? <laughs> I do love. I love those things. Like, there, there's been times where I've walked into a like a service station on the way back from a gig in the UK. Because yeah, a lot of UK gigs, you drive somewhere, drive to a different city, and then you drive back at one in the morning. And we will stop in at some services to get a snack and a coffee or whatever. And there will be the most unlikely group of people walking together, and you're just walking in, going. What do they think we are? Right. Because they'll be like, like I've been there. There's been like me, Colin Cole, for example, who's right. like a six foot seven Australian guy who's a clear decade and a half older than me. Yes. Tanya Lee Davis, who's like a Canadian dwarf, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then like maybe like a, a like a, a young black guy. Right. Like be, <laughs> so you're some sort of like, uh, like minor level Marvel. Like, team. what are we? Like, superhero what, bunch. What circus did we come right. from? Like, it just, like, why is there an American, a Canadian, an Australian, and they all look like they've come from different, like, walks of life, different... Right. Are they recasting edu- The Princess Bride? What is going on? It really on? is. <laughs> like, different... I love that about comedy, though, because, you know, you do... I have so much more in common now with someone who, like... Didn't go to didn't go to university or or grew up in a completely different country or is ten fifteen years older than me or ten years younger than me, just because we all do this same really weird job, than I do someone who went to my school and had like grew up minutes from my house. I, that's what I always found weird about um, the idea of like often if you work in uh, particularly breakfast radio in Australia, yeah. but. Uh, because often I've worked like on shows or I know people who worked on shows who are all friends yep. who are on, you know, essentially competing shows. Right. Right. And so then it becomes because people think that radio is real and it's the real world. It becomes this idea of like, you know, they're enemies. They're not. They've just both got jobs and yep. they're doing their fucking jobs. But uh, and then they're out and they're talking to each other and people are like, oh, my God, they were talking to each other. What's happening? Do you think they're patching up? Like, are they going to fight? <laughs> like, what's going to... And it's one of those things where I always wanted to explain to people, I just want to say, you know that we do the same job. We have more in common with each other than... Yep. We, we are the people who understand what they're going through. Yeah. When we get together, we talk about the shit that nobody else understands. We both have to set our alarm clocks for 3.25. Right. And... And we talk about that with someone else who understands it. Yeah. The only other conversations I'm having are with postman and milkman. <laughs> Please <laughs> let me have this moment. Um, but so yeah, you you're somewhere else. Who I like I like I like being in a I like being in a restaurant by myself quite often. Okay. I'm quite happy with my own thoughts. Yeah. No, I like it. I eat by myself all the time. Yeah. I, I'm into it. Um, so 
She's at the next table a couple of di- different times. Yep. First time, I'm like, she's on her phone. She's having breakfast. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bother her. Yeah. Um, but the second time, I'm like, you know what? Now it's been like a couple of times. If I'm if I'm thinking about it, it's weirder than like actually. Because your face will be doing odd things. Where you're right. Like, huh? Right. <laughs> and also because she's on a cult show, she's you. She's got to be used to getting people looking at her like weird. Like we. Of she, course. She came to a sh- like I th- no, it wasn't even a show that I did. It was a it was a different show that a f- another mutual friend was doing at the UCB, and we were just at the bar next door, and she got recognised, and within about ten minutes, someone was in the bar wanting a photo, dressed as one of the doctors. Oh yeah, yeah. Like in full on Tom Baker regalia, like yeah. with the scarf and the hat, and you go. Did you have? Were you already wearing that? Did you go to get that? He's kept it, it in his like car was it there for this precise for this, moment, like as dreaming that one day. But all his friends mocked him for years. <laughs> He's like, "Who's the idiot now? now huh? S- still me? Okay, okay, cool. yeah, right. That's a good point. I'm dressed as Doctor Who. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Like I have a TARDIS joke um, yeah. in my set, and I notice the further I go away from major capital cities in America, the less that TARDIS joke. Yeah. Uh, works, but last night above a Chinese restaurant at the Comedy Palace, like I could have closed with that joke, but I did ninety <laughs> seconds in. You know, like it was core demo for people who watch Doctor Who. Right, and I can imagine she's the same. It'd be that perfect thing, and particularly because her hair's short now because of the movie or whatever she was doing. Yeah, she doesn't look exactly like she looked on Doctor Who, but for Doctor Who fans. Like, they, they're going to spot her, but everyone else is going to kind of... She's still yeah. not quite famous enough yet that everybody's looking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it would be weird. So, that's what I... and I, So, she's in that weird state, I guess. Like, I you know, haven't spoken to her about that, but she's in this weird state where she's like, um, is that person staring at me because I'm just an attractive tall woman in a restaurant or because they know who I am or they think they know who I am but aren't sure? Like, it's just many different levels of... Glances. Right. And why is that guy dressed like Tom Baker? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and think in this case, it's category two. <laughs> it's weird that he's chosen Peter Davidson as his outfit, but that's fine. Um, so, uh, so the second time I thought, you know, what, I, sh- I should go and... Because yeah. what I don't want to be is a person... <laughs> yeah, here's me. Like, in the f- like, I'm inventing like all these backstories for these dudes at this cafe. Yeah. I'm also inventing the future where me not having said hello would be problematic and weird. Yeah. Like, that one day, in a really normal way, you know, we're hanging out or something and we bump into each other. I love this, by the way, because last time I was on the show, we spent quite a while talking about the number of times I've been weird with Eddie Izzard. Mm. <laughs> Just... Well, this is what I'm like. And I'm thinking forward to the future where yeah. I'm like, oh, she's like, oh, I didn't, you're that weird guy who... <laughs> that guy who's awkward in, in that West Hollywood cafe. Did, have you finished your screenplay, loser? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I went and said hello. I really, it was quick. Yeah. Because here's my thing. Like, I know what it's... Okay. Yeah, you've been on the other side right. of it many times. Right. I've been with you when there's Australians around. They get very excited. Right. And they do, and I love that, and it's very nice of them. Yeah. However, you know, I don't want to be, I yeah. don't want, I don't want her to feel uncomfortable. So I, I think in that situation, you've just got to get straight to the point. Yes. Like you know, you don't want to be like, hey, and then have to have them fill in with like a, hey, <laughs> like you just got to go, you just got to say hello, get their attention, yeah, you know, do your speech. Uh, I chose the speech from the end of uh, Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Not the one from the middle, where you just confronted her and told her it wasn't her fault many times. <laughs> it's not your fault. What are you talking about? It's not your fault. <laughs> Until she starts crying and you've done your job. I did Matt Smith's dying speech from the <laughs> Doctor Who episode that hadn't actually come out when this happened. It yep. was amazing. Um, uh, no, I, this is this was what I went with, you okay. can, and you can run me through um, how okay. how, you, how you think I went okay. in this situation. I said um, hello. I said uh, firstly, I'd like to say I'm a big fan. I think you're fantastic. Uh, also, I believe that we have a mutual friend. And she went, "Oh, who?" And I said, "Matt Kirshen." And she said, "Oh, I'll tell him that you said hello." Mm-hmm. That was it. <laughs> That's it. But that That's seemed cool. like. That was all right, right? Yeah. And I enjoyed that she said, I'll tell him that you said hello. Yeah. Because that had a level of familiarity with you that I enjoyed. Excellent. And that was it. 
But she clearly didn't tell you. She didn't, but I no. only saw her. What a lying what bitch. What a bitch. What a Seriously. Bitch. <laughs> Can you imagine if next time I went down there and she's at the next table and I just look at her like, bitch. <laughs> you promised. Liar! <laughs> you promised. Man. I saw Matt and he said that you did not say hello. How can children believe your words? Actress. I guess all actresses are liars when it comes down to it. It's like you're pretending. It's not even her real name. (laughs) (laughs) She's probably never travelled in time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm beginning to doubt everything I've ever seen you do. So anyway, that's that, that's update. People have, can have an update on how, how that's going. I feel like it's going well so far. I feel like I didn't embarrass myself. I think you're all good. Yeah, no, I thought it was good. I feel like in the future, when I then meet her, I'll be able to like bring up that yep. time. I'll be like, ah, see, 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 I'm friends. We're all good. It's true, we're all good. Then later on, I'll get drunk and berate her about not passing it. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking. You, you, you said you would. <laughs> just me. You see her in the corner and I've just got like one arm on the wall. Yeah. Kind of just, just vaguely just with my body close. language. Like, <laughs> just too close. Like, not in a way that you have to intervene, but yeah. in a way that you feel like at some stage you'll yeah. have to intervene. <laughs> just... <laughs> She's just like slightly wincing every time you exhale. <laughs> You're like, what have you been drinking? Are you a person that imagines future scenarios in that way? I think that sometimes that's a comedian sort of thing to do. Oh, totally. Like- and I, I, I write material that way as well. Like, like my, I, I, I write material sometimes by having imaginary arguments with people who don't exist. Right. Like half of my, half of my stand-up, particularly when I get more argumentative with my stand-up, is basically one extended straw man argument. Right. <laughs> like I'm just, I've just set myself up an easy opponent and I'm just arguing it out in my head as I'm driving or as I'm in the shower. I'm like, God, that wouldn't want to be that person that is basically a version of me right now. Right. <laughs> and then I'll blurt it out on stage. I often think that's a good way of like being able to express both yeah. sides of the argument though. Like it's invent an enemy, I always say. That's what oh, I call is. it, invent an enemy. Like, rather than me getting out on stage and saying, here's what I want to say about not eating meat, it's always nice to put in the, the arguments against it that yeah. people in the audience have in someone's mouth and be like... Although I, I hadn't even occurred to it right now until just now, but I, I know I do straw man it, and I bet it's very easy to do that. Like, it's very easy to kind of go, and these people say, or like, you know, these right-wingers will tell you, and you go, well, hang on a second. Yes, they do, but you've just given yourself a very easy right-winger to slap down. Oh, yeah. It's like... <laughs> It's the easiest argument of all time. Yeah. It's you acting out your fantasy argument. <laughs> yeah, like, it totally is. It's not a real argument. It's absolutely, we're just going like, oh. It's you like, going, imagine, look at how I've refashioned the world yeah. into how I have a snappy answer for every question. I think that's one of the reasons why, like, I've got, every one of my last, like, solo shows has had a chunk of material about gay marriage or right. gay rights. And part of that reason, I think, is... I like doing political and so- social commentary material, and I can't think of any easier, more clear-cut, more glaringly right. obvious. Beca- like, like the gay gay rights issue is so obvious. Right. Like it's so the counter arguments are so inherently absurd that it becomes incredibly easy to write opposing tricks. All you have to do is think about any counter argument. Find someone who said it, and there's always someone who said it. And the counter-argument is... Doesn't make sense. It's so... And it's so easy to slap It can never make sense. So you're always like, oh, this is brilliant. All you need to do is just tag the tiniest punchline on the end. And and you're done. There are other things that I believe. You know, I'm I'm left of centre when it comes to taxation and welfare and things like that. and, And immigration... But I don't have the stats handy. I don't have the full information. If someone starts coming up, coming at me with percentages and raw numbers, I'm, I'm like, oh well, um, hold tight for a second. I got to Google for it, and I'm going to come back to you with a counter argument. <laughs> whereas, whereas when it comes to things like LGBT stuff, that is, it's so obvious. Like it's so just there, and it's so clear cut that the people who are arguing against it are just. Are dinosaurs and on the wrong side of history, and it, it, it's incredibly simple to write material. It's amazing uh, what you're saying for a couple of reasons. But firstly, I agree with you 100 percent because 
there's very rare things in our generation that we've had to rail against. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the hard work's already been done. Yeah, and there's still huge problems with, like, inequality. And there's, there's arguments that, you know, I feel in like Britain, there's the National Health Service being dismantled and, and austerity measures for, that the Conservatives are bringing in that are screwing over large, large number of people's fire stations just got shut down in central London by Boris Johnson, the mayor. And there's, there's loads of bad things that are happening. But they're complex, nuanced situations. Like, it's rare that you have something that's black and white. You know, previous yeah. generations had... Black and white. Black <laughs> and white. They literally had that. Yeah. And they certainly had issues with, about censorship and what you could say on stage and all these things that yeah. you could... But our generation, like, what was shocking anymore and what was an injustice? And the gay marriage thing is so obvious to anyone it, who has it, a brain. Exactly. It's... You know, and there are still problems with censorship, and there are still huge oh, problems with race, and there Evolving are still problems yeah, with all those. Things. Absolutely, and there are problems with race, and there are problems with with privacy and intrusion of the government. Hang on, are you saying that comedy didn't solve all those things? It came close. It came very close. <laughs> then Lenny Bruce died. I know. We thought it was done, but it, it nearly, nearly, but not quite. Uh, but, but you know, there's obviously still massive problems with all those issues, but they are so much more subtle, and they're so much more nuanced, and right. no mainstream politician for example could get away even like in america or or britain or australia with saying things like i don't believe white people should be allowed to marry black people or black children shouldn't be allowed in schools or anything like that which mainstream politicians were saying in america within living memory within our lifetimes yeah like within just barely more than my lifetime aboriginal people were considered flora and fauna in australia like this which is incredible you know it's these aren't, you know, this wasn't a million... Yeah. We should... Like, there's a big part of me that often thinks we should definitely take some time along the journey to applaud how far we've come in such a short period yeah. of time. Because if you look at how much we have evolved on those things, you know, in the last hundred years, say, yeah. compared to how much those things evolved previously, it's it's going well, but there's just a but, lot of but other still, work to go. There's also a bit of discomfort about a couple of white guys applauding themselves for being so good on race when there's still huge racial inequality and there's still huge problems with the... Absolutely. And um, it's not like when gay people get married, that's going to solve everything. No, of there course There will be not. problems... Like, for example, there was a guy arguing with me on the... And he was doing that... He was doing the reverse of what we do in right. our stand-up. Oh, so you're saying... Right. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, right. He was being very... Like, he used the example, and this is... These fuckers. Like, you know, sometimes you're just like... You hate someone for some one reason, but you also hate them for like another reason. Oh yeah. Like, firstly, I hate these guys for what they did, but secondly, I hate it for the fact that they can now be used forever as this fucking argument by these idiots, right? Uh -huh. So two Australian, well, one was an Australian man, and I think another one wasn't an Australian man, but a guy, a couple, a gay couple who got married, uh, adopted a kid, and abused a kid, and like took it into child pornography, and like it was a real. And right. so now that is the so I. I hate that and them and everything that they did and they should be, you know, it was yeah. horrible, the whole thing. But secondly, I hate them extra because they fucked it up for everybody. Right. Do you know what I mean? That's the thing that the bigots will use to say, well, we can't let, you know, overlooking the fact that yeah. there's been a millions of times far that heterosexual people yeah, have... Far like, more. And, and, and it's the same thing. Like every gay, uh, again, it's really difficult. Like any gay couple who get married, like gay divorce is going to become an increasing thing. Right. But every 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 time a gay marriage doesn't work out, oh, yeah. it gets held up as an example of a failure of the system, rather right. than just, hey, you know, like a large percentage of of all marriages, One whatever two. the genders, yeah, don't work out. Right. Like it's just but, in most places, at least one in two. Yeah. In some places, more than one in two. And it, but again, because there's that appallingly bigoted conflation of homosexuality with paedophilia. Like again, most pedophiles are straight. Most, right. most, uh, so most abuse is straight. And so, and I guess that what I was trying to say about that was the idea that when gay people get married, that's not going to suddenly solve. It will create a range of its own problems Absolutely. in the same way as the way we're dealing with race creates a range of its own problems. In the way that yeah. you know, the clearly same way the end of apartheid in South Africa didn't to fix it. No, yeah, South Africa's still like right. a mess, but at least it's a mess where black people can vote and can right. be can be president and so on. Though. Yeah, that was the thing that I was like, when Mandela died, you did, the critics who were trying to look for something, there was two things that you found that some assholes who just can't enjoy a nice moment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
Mandela didn't, A, pretend to be a saint. Yep. You know, this was a dude who had a, bu- a bunch of failed relationships, which is pretty good for a guy who's in prison for 27 yeah. years <laughs> to have a string of kids and, like, a string of marriages and all those sort of things. And, you know, he himself, like, you know, made a, a lot of mistakes. But the, the one thing that was overwhelming about him was that when he came out of prison, he advocated for forgiveness in that situation. Mm-hmm. And, and people were like, well... Country's still got a lot of problems. Yeah, it had fucking heaps of problems then. Yeah. It's got a whole bunch of different problems now. Guess what? Everyone's got a fucking whole bunch of problems at the moment. Yeah. Like, Mandela wasn't magic. Like, he just, you know. Yeah, and, and, and it's always going to be a difficult thing when two groups of people who were previously legally kept apart and classified differently right. are allowed to, and, ha- and still have huge wealth inequalities and everything, are suddenly allowed to mix. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't make that happen <laughs> like it doesn't mean that you you know when uh when if we let black people and white people be equal um there's like it's gonna it's gonna be there's gonna be difficulties oh well then we should probably still keep yeah. them as sub sub we'll just keep them apart just keep, keep them yeah. let's still consider them as animals and then that's not yeah there, there'll just, be no problem be ongoing <laughs> it'll all still be better the germans don't seem to like the jews we should just you know what let's just keep them apart anyway yeah, like, well, like yeah i mean they, the mixing it's gonna be awkward if, right if, if, if they yeah, if you get rid of that I and mean, like let it mix it's gonna, i mean let's just no, but absolutely right. And so I was listening, I'm going over to a gig the other night and I'm, I'm in a rental car and I uh, am flipping through the radio stations. I'm just trying to find something to listen to. Normally I listen to an AM sports radio station over here, but mm-hmm. they were, it was a radio broadcast of an American college baseball game. And I was like, even by my standards of shit that I can listen to in sports, this is, I, can't <laughs> this listen, is- I can't listen to a game I don't understand with two teams that I don't know about who are at college. Yeah, on the radio <laughs> as well. I mean, like, college sports in America are a big deal compared to... Right. Yeah, no, I can't think... I can- I can't imagine like two Amer- two British or two Australian universities slugging it out and like it, having no. the whole town come out. But there are some towns like where the college football team, some cities where the college football team is the team because it doesn't have an NFL right. franchise. But so also like in biggest... some of the places where they have NFL franchises, the college football is as big as the NFL. Yeah, like it, these are massive games. Of... It's huge, but I still don't. I don't really know. I don't things. know anything about I've it. Just mo- I've just half learned the rules of baseball, and I went to my first. I went to a Dodgers game. Uh, last month it was my first baseball experience. What was that like? It was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was. Uh, I'd like to go to the baseball. It was. I, I kind of got it a bit, and like, I, you know, I was with enough people who knew the rules and could explain what was going on. So I was like, okay, I, I get it now. I get, I get what's happening. I've watched Major League and Field of Dreams, so yep. I should be fine. Bull Durham. I feel like I'm across it. Yeah, I watched the need. Natural. I watched Eastbound and Down. Surely between those five things, you should I've have worked all out the baseball, information right? you need. I think I saw Major League too. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> you were the one. <laughs> so um, I'm, see, listen, I'm flipping through radio stations. So, so you're like college, college baseball, no. Trying to find something to listen to. Terrible. I don't want to be one of these old people, but there's a lot of terrible music on the yeah. radio at the moment. Um, it's just noise. And in it's LA, just, it's just noise. It's it's either noise <laughs> or Eminem and Rihanna singing Monster. They're the two things that I could get. And I was like, okay, well, I can listen to that once, but I can't listen to it on every station. So I've I've gone into like a, a biblical station. Oh. So it's like a like a right wing radio yep. host interviewing like another guy about like the Bible, and they're talking about gay people, and I'm just like, this is. Oh, oh. You're like, okay, this is going to make me angry, but right. I'll probably come out of it with a punchline. But the thing about it was, they were talk- they were having this really in depth conversation that you could ne- never really summarize in this way. But the gist of it was this: yep. that their argument was that in someone had warned back in the 80s that if preachers didn't stand up about gay marriage one day they would ac- be accused of being like racists by for not wanting to do like gay marriages in their churches right that's the premise which by itself is pretty tortured secondly so hang on if they don't stand up for gay marriage now yeah back in the day, stand up for, oh, no against gay marriage sorry yeah, yeah. like so no. basically what he wanted them to do was back in the 90s or whatever everyone had to come out against gay marriage and say no we can't have it because his theory was as soon as some people let gays getting married then there'd be pressure on all of them and if they said they wouldn't do it they'd be considered like racists were considered in the old days which is that bit of it is actually true Yes. Like I do I do actually agree with like like if it's like again if you don't stand up against 
uh, in favor of segregation and against the races mixing, then one day you will be considered a bigot for not allowing a black man to marry a white woman in your church. Right. But that's and rightly so, yes, because, you are, because you are, because you and are a bigot. Were a bigot. Yes, <laughs> but this is my point. They couldn't. They were so frustrated that, that people were calling them racists, which they weren't, yeah. by the way. But they managed to conflate the it to be like, yeah. you know. No, but they were actually like, no, they're calling us racists. They're not. I'm sure you are a racist. <laughs> Most likely, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure you are a racist. But. How can I be homophobic? Some right. of my best friends are black. <laughs> 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 uh, but it was fantastic because it was one of those things where you're, you're making, you're just making the argument that most normal people have made in their head and gone, oh no, hang on, no, we should let gay people get married if they want to get married. Well, like, it's a perfect, it's, it's like they've taken the reductio absurdum arguments and just landed on the other side of the coin. Mm. Like all of us have just gone, um, well, hang on a second. This is basically the same deal as when people are banning interracial relationships these are people who happen to be have this sexual orientation and who are we to deny one group of consensual adults the same right that another group of consensual adults have the general um, consensus from our society is that being born gay is something that naturally happens yeah and as a society we tend to not discriminate on people based purely on a quirk of how you're born. Yeah, that seems to be at the very heart of discrimination. And, and they've gone like, and they've they, we've taken that argument. Hang on a second, like not letting gay people marry is a bit like when they wouldn't let interracial people marry, so we should let gay people marry. And they've sort of landed on the other side, mm. going, uh, not letting gay people marry is a bit like when people, not letting interracial couples marry. Uh, so we better stop gay marriage from happening or we'll be accused of being like the people who were t- stopping interracial couples. Hang on a second. Do you think, Matt, yeah. that um, much like there are people now, yeah. uh, one of them in the Australian Parliament, Corey Bernardi, uh, who says that if gay people get married, people will marry their dogs. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you think that when black and white people were getting married, there was someone back there who was like, well, what's fucking next, mate? Next fucking a man will marry another man. Yeah. And somewhere he's sitting feeling really justified he's like, I told you. <laughs> I fucking told you. I told you. <laughs> I fucking told you. <laughs> I, I think we both have jokes about the in our sets about the what next dogs like right. we both have bits that take that argument. Why, uh, well, because it's, it's such a ridiculous argument again. Because it's and again, so, it's not something that we made up. It's something that people say people out have, loud. Like not only people, but in America and in, I guess in Australia as well. And Brit, um, it is something that mainstream like ma- we had the gay marriage debate in Britain. Um, and what was one of the amazing things was. David Cameron, the Conservative That's Prime Minister, right. who I, I, you know, I don't agree with the vast majority of his policies. I d- dislike him and his government. But to his credit, he came out in favour of gay marriage, which is a first for a right-wing leader in Britain. But also the other thing about this, and I've made this yeah. point before, but I just want to make it briefly, which is this, that marriage is by its very nature a conservative idea. I don't even want to get hugely, married myself. Like, hugely so. Right? And that, I think that's another fight for another time. Like The, the fact that people... The fact that gay couples and every have to marry to be able to have certain health care rights and certain inheritance rights and so on that other couples don't is ridiculous. The fact that you have to buy into this this legal contract between the two, there is an absurdity to that, and I think that's another problem. But so, it always makes sense to me that like a conservative government would bring it in because yeah. like we've already like acknowledged hard, the idea. Marriage isn't a liberal concept, right. but so is denying. But if you are going to have it denying it to one group of consensual right. adults is bullshit. But also, if we've already agreed that gay people are fucking, like yeah. if we've already like agreed that they're fucking and we're like it's legal that they and fuck. They, and in Britain, they could already adopt kids and they could live together in civil unions, but you're still like going, we can't let you have our word. This is our word. Right. It's, it's really... But um, what I was going to say, in that debate, one of the conservative politicians, one of the other conservative politicians, actually said the phrase, Adam and Eve... Not Adam and Steve. Oh, people say <laughs> it. Blurted it out. People <laughs> say these things. Corey Bernardi, who's a senator in the Australian government, not only said that if like that people would marry their dogs, but he he talked about the fact that there was already people out there who were doing perverted things with dogs, and they, they might demand the. And I'm like, yeah. say the first half of your sentence. <laughs> Let us bond together to stop the dog fuckers. But... <laughs> so, yeah, I think I've out my bit. Um, 
dogs can't give consent. No, can't. <laughs> like, no matter how much they hump your leg. <laughs> exactly. No matter, even if you've taught them to nod their head, Bow can't consent. Yeah. Even Caesar Milan can't fuck a dog. <laughs> Like, even the dog whisperer. They won't, he can't get that dog to say, I do. He can't. You can get it to say sausages. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> All right. Uh, it, uh, yeah, okay. It's about time we should finish up. It always takes a little while to, to wind this up. Uh, what uh, have you got coming up, Matt? Well, we're both doing a show together tonight, but I probably won't put this up in time gonna, for people to hear about we that. We are doing other show, another show together and a couple of shows in the same ve- in the same area at San Francisco Sketchfest. Yes, we are indeed. Um, if I have, I know, I know that I do have San Francisco listeners, and if anyone's going for Sketchfest as well, it's my first time in San Francisco. Oh, have you done cool. shows there before? I've done quite a few shows there in the past, and it is a fantastic city. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to go there and do the it's, shows and do and the sketch fest. They're great audiences. Uh, it's, I, it's a really cool place to do I did, I'm doing a show, uh, like a double bill with Dave Hill. I know one night I'm doing uh, Kurt Brunella's show one night. I'm doing set list. I'm doing prompter. We're both on those shows together. Okay, cool. Nice And one. then I'm doing a couple of two-headers at the punchline with Apana and Ancella. Um, and I'm doing a we're doing a live version of our podcast, probably science. Oh, awesome! So we're going to be doing a we're going to be doing a live one of those at 4 p.m. on the seventh Saturday, the seventh of February. Oh, awesome! Everyone should get involved in that. That'll be fantastic. Yeah. Um, so. My Australian tour is uh, on sale. It's, it's not actually that far away now. Um, Adelaide, Brisbane, Melbourne, and Sydney. All those dates are on sale at the moment. WillAnderson.com.au for all the links Sweet. to that. But uh, oh, and also while we're plugging stuff, yeah, um, plug. This is getting into like the end of February and the beginning of March. But the last weekend of February, I'm doing. Um, I'm in Michigan. I don't know if you got Michigan listeners, but uh, uh, I'm sure we might have. Doctor, I'm not sure where Michigan is, but Doctor Grins in Grand Rapids. Michigan is basically slap bang in the middle of the country on the on the border with Canada. Oh, okay, like, cool. Right where that where that lake is, right in the center. Yep, Michigan's right. on the right hand side. You know where Chicago is? Yes. If you follow Chicago on the like on the southern tip of the lake. If you follow the lake up round towards the east, that's where that's Michigan, and the first big city you get to is Grand Rapids which is where I'm playing and then I'm at the improv the Hollywood improv I'm doing my um a headline show at the Hollywood improv on the 7th of March oh that'll be awesome that should be fun that's yeah. my first time doing that it's always that's a great venue that I, like, I, I feel like that's my club it's got a the, lot of great history but also since they've redone it like I did Rick Overton's show the other night and it was such great fun it's fun yeah I really I had a good time uh, people can find you on Twitter as well at Matt Kirshen at Matt Kirshen and then probably science is the podcast and, uh, which you've been on before yes it's fun we should gotta get you back and Karen Gillan has been on she has been on that show I listened to her episode <laughs> <laughs> you have a problem <laughs> While I stared at her in the cafe. It's like, oh my God, you know things about science. So attractive. Or oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> I know Matt. Remember that I know Matt. Oh, that's worse? Okay. Uh, sausages. 